Thank you for joining Bevel Talk, Season 4, Episode 2. Hydrogen-induced cracking is an important issue in the welding industry. Today we are talking about the advantages of induction and comparing to other heating methods. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining us today. We're here with Al Sherrill, induction heating specialist for Miller Electric. Al, let's let's pick up where we left off. Let's talk a little bit more about the advantage of, of induction heating. Um, take it away. You know more than I do about sure. this. Sure. Well, we, we did hit on it a little bit uh, uh, previously when we talked about some of the big advantages with how induction heats the part, right? Uh, so you you get this heat into the part much quicker. Um, it, it is very efficient. So there's some inherent benefits to that, right? We we work with induction heating. Um, we we've we've had people that are using flame for years and resistance fl- heating for years. Why would they want to convert? What's going on with induction that makes it so attractive, right? Um, so we look at uh, a few things really uh, when it comes to the advantages. First of all, is that time to temperature. Since we're heating in, in the base material itself, uh, typically we'll get that material up to temperature um, in a quicker, quicker fashion, right? We're, we're trying to uh, heat up some big two-inch thick pipe or, or even one-inch pipe. And uh, the time it takes with a torch, it might take you 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, then you get to the lar- larger and thicker materials, you might be preheating stuff for an hour or two hours with a torch. I've, I've seen very large assemblies that take people a whole day to heat up with a torch. And so you, you start looking for how can I get more production in my shop? How can I get people welding instead of sitting there with torches heating things up? So we put these induction coils on and it heats the material from within. Uh, it's more efficient. And uh, not only uh, that, I've got these coils that are sitting there. I don't have to have anybody holding these coils um, and waving them back and forth. And I can heat up very long, large areas with it. And uh, I can do it with very little uh, participation from somebody. Somebody can set this up and then they can go get it set up for welding, you know, while this thing is heating. Um, also, if I if I leave this set up, right, I, I don't have to shut the heat off while I'm welding because when you're when you're dealing with these uh, magnetic fields and, and these coils, all the, all the coils stay cold to the touch, right? So I can go up next to those coils and not worry about um, getting a burn from them or something like I would have to next to a torch or to a hot resistance element. Uh, that's probably one of the bigger complaints that people are welding, they're focusing on the weld, and all of a sudden there's a tail sticking out from this resistance element and your, your forearm rubs against it and you get burnt. And you know, then that's real downtime. You have to go get that taken care of before you can continue uh, with all the induction stuff that we have. Uh, all the induction stuff stays cold to the touch, uh, so you don't have to worry about that. So it's inherently safer uh, to use around. So that's that's one of the big advantages, uh, safety. Um, so you got the time to temperature is one big thing, and then safety is another big thing. And the other thing we talked about, the efficiency. So utility cost comes in there, right? You got to spend so much to to buy gas or you have to spend so much on electricity with the uh, resistance units and the resistance units typically are inherently less efficient and their way to transfer heat in is less efficient. So whoever pays the power bills caring about that, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, people that are paying the utility bills are going to see a, a nice change and an advantage they're using induction. So that makes uh, 
you know, the people paying the bills happy and it also makes the people welding happy. So I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that's welding and instead of having this torch next to me blowing hot air in my face because of that inefficiency of it, wasting all the heat in the air and that heat's in the, heat's, you know, right in your face, usually when you're welding and you're trying to focus on the weld puddle, you know? So I can have the induction stuff sitting there, heating up right next to me, keeping my metal hot, but I'm comfortable. So since I'm comfortable, I can focus on the weld and put in a better bead, you know? So talk to me a little bit about the uniformity of induction heating. How, how uniform is it? We're, you know, we're talking about critical weld joints here, often um, high stress, high importance locations. Yep, yep. So um, that's a good thing to talk about because, uh, you know, when you look at your traditional forms of heating, uh, especially when you look at flame, Flame's a pretty variable process. If you're holding a torch, you might be holding that torch uh, an inch away from the part, or you might be two inches away. You might be waving it back and forth, and you know your motion when you're going back and forth is, well, you have to stop at the end, and then you start going the other way, and you stop at the other end. So those spots that you're stopping actually get a little bit more heat, and you'll get hot spots, right? So uh, uneven heat causes some stresses, uh, really, when you're heating this stuff up. So we'd like to avoid that. So we go to induction, right? And induction basically is just using these magnetic fields. Magnetic fields are created evenly around the whole heating cable. So as long as I have that heating cable set uniform up against the part, the magnetic fields are going to be uniform and they'll heat up the part uniform. So I can have it stretch some 20-foot length down an I-beam or something like that. And the energy coming off of that magnetic field is going to be relatively close to being the same all the way down through there. So you'll see that whole I-beam come up to the same temperature. And I don't have to have, you know, five people waving torches over it at the same time trying to bring it. I can I can do it with one machine. Yep. So the, the, the evenness is really because of the uniform magnetic fields around the, the coils when they're running. It's very uniform, yep. Is your pipe welding equipment costing you time and money? It's time to reinvent your workday. Make the move to Arc Reach Technology from Miller. And don't walk, weld. Get more information at MillerWelds.com slash ArcReach. I've got a question, and I'm sure some of our listeners do as well. Um, induction heating's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. You've told me a ton of benefits of it. How uniform, how safe, how easy, um, how versatile it is. Why aren't more people using induction heating? Ah, well, that's a good question. Um, I think the main reason is the portability. Um, if you if you look at some of those machines, in the last podcast I told you that I had worked on a machine as old as 1942. Well, I didn't really describe the machine that well, right? Uh, machines that are older um, typically use these big oscillator tubes, and they're in a they're in a big cabinet about the size of a refrigerator or bigger, you know. And so you would have to plug in water to them to keep them cooled down, and uh, so that made it to where the machine had to stay in one place. So all your work had to go to that machine, just like you sort of have to do an oven, right? All your work has to go to an oven because it's all plumbed into the gas lines. You can't move the the gas around. So um, you didn't have very portable stuff back then. Well, as technology moved along, um, you got people making induction units out of like motors. They made motor generators. It was very popular back in the 60s and 50s and stuff. And they had their inefficiencies, but again, they weren't portable. And then they started making solid state devices and started making inverters. 
All right. So now you're getting to the technology to where, hey, instead of having to have this mechanical motion to make these outputs, I can use electronics to do it. And so in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and even today, they still make a lot of units out of uh, what they call SCRs and IGBTs and stuff like that. But as these technologies became easier and easier and didn't require as much cooling because they're getting better and better devices that don't give off as much heat, now all of a sudden I can air cool a power source instead of having to liquid cool it. I can actually shed enough of the heat out of it just by throwing a fan on a heat sink and getting the heat out of the unit. So now we come to what Miller did, right? Miller made this unit um, back in the 90s that all of a sudden it's all air-cooled because they're used to making all these air-cooled power supplies. And now I can put it on wheels and roll it around the shop and take it right over to where the, the part is. So that's that was really step one into getting it more into the field. So you're starting to see it more and more as the, the time goes on. Now, why doesn't everybody have it? Well, it is a little bit more expensive. An inverter uh, is very efficient and does great things, but it does cost a little bit more. So people still um, have to be able to justify it, right? So if I'm doing a lot of heating, induction becomes sort of a no-brainer. I can look at what I'm doing, sort of put some, put some numbers down on how much I'm going to save, and it becomes very easy to justify that initial capital cost of getting the equipment in. But uh, if you're doing heating once a month or something like that and the machine's going to be sitting in the corner, well, then it takes a lot longer to pay off that capital cost. And and so you don't see it everywhere yet. Um, but, you know, as, as time goes on, um, I'm sure that uh, uh, anything that happens with, with time is usually the technology comes along and, and uh, you get smaller units available, something that's um, more affordable for those shops that don't heat as much. You'll see it more and more used everywhere. So there, everything's got its place, right? Um, you're not going to, you're not going to solve everybody's problems. And if, if one of your, one of your deals is you just don't heat that much and it's not worth spending that much money on a heater, well, so be it. That's not the solution for you. So you'll, you'll start seeing it more and more though, especially in the large manufacturers as they get familiar with it and see the benefits and get over the capital cost and realize how much it's going to save them in labor and utility cost and, and, and the inherent safety aspect of it, uh, you'll see it more and more in the field. Right. And we have over the past 20 years, it's really grown. That's, that's interesting. And, and also with induction heating, the increased throughputs, the increased efficiencies of your facility to be able to get to temperature faster, be able to move through products faster mm -hmm. yeah. and not waiting on things as long is, is key. So we've talked about this. Sounds like if you were just listening to this and not familiar with induction heating, there's a lot of moving parts that it's really complicated, hard to do, but that's not the case. It's actually fairly easy to set up, fairly easy to do. In most cases, it's it's operator performer. The, the guy that's welding will actually set it up. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's you see a lot of work out there today that's more or less uh, contracted in, right? They'll, they'll hire a contractor to come in and do the heating because the setup of the current devices is difficult or time-consuming. If, if you're doing it with the resistance heating, um, you, there's a lot of uh, sort of hookup, electrically hookup. You have to do it all right. It has, to, has a lot of wires, a lot of things you can uh, mess up. So uh, there, there can be some difficulty there. So instead of people trying to do it themselves, they hire it out, and it becomes expensive, right? Uh, the same thing with flames. I mean, if you're if you're using three or four guys 
to heat up something with torches, um, you're 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 getting out the checkbook and you're paying those three and four people a lot of labor costs there. Um, when you when you start talking about induction, uh, it becomes very simple to set up. Uh, you have to wind a, a cable or you have to put a pad up against a part that you're heating, and it becomes something that somebody can do quite simply. Um, so. A, a guy that's doing the welding, um, he can he can basically wind these cables on himself. Um, there, there are companies that still contract it out, but I have a lot of contractors that are starting to use induction as well because of the inherent benefits of it. But yeah, it's it's very simple. So uh, we really do promote uh, a lot of people switching over to self perform. Yeah. Okay. And it works well for them. So Al, mm-hmm. tell me about how. How do you verify? How do you know that your part is to the temperature that you want? I mean, it it sounds great, but I'm not able to mark a temp stick or anything underneath my my coils. Well, typically the coils aren't over the actual weld joint, right? Um, you're setting up a heat zone on either side of the weld joint, typically. Uh, if you go by um, the majority of the codes, will say that they want to have heat, you know, a few inches on each side of the joint to make sure that, you know, the the cold material doesn't draw the heat away. They want to make sure there's enough of the material heated to uh, verify that your joint's going to stay at temperature while you're welding. So the heat zones are typically one or two inches away, uh, sometimes farther away if you've got lineup clamps and stuff like that. You'll you'll have the induction field or resistance heaters or torches or whatever. They're going to be a certain distance away. And then they'll they'll monitor the temperatures with their crayons, right? So they have crayons out there that melt it particular temperatures and uh, they'll just mark it with a crayon and verify that the joint is at the temperature that's required before they start welding. Now the machines themselves, they can't really use crayons because there's nothing there that gives the machine feedback. I can't see a color with a machine. So we use different temperature sensor devices. Uh, The machine itself uses what's called a thermocouple. So there's lots of different sensors out in the markets, but a thermocouple is very simple. It's been around for decades. It basically just uses two wires that are made out of different materials, and uh, it generates a little bit of a voltage, and we can track that voltage and get an idea of what the temperature is in the part. So that's a very simple technology, widely used in the industry. There's different styles of thermocouples out there. Most of the people in our industry use what's called a type K thermocouple, which really just defines what type of wires they are uh, that is used. It's alumel and chromel. And so that's not important really, but it, uh, the fact is though, is that people can use the wrong thermocouples. So we want to make sure you're using the right thermocouple, at least you, if you're going to our equipment. And that gives you uh, feedback. So now the equipment knows what the temperature of the part is and it can automatically regulate itself. So now if I see the temperatures coming up to what I want it to be, I've programmed the machine to come up to 300 degrees or 400 degrees, the machine's got something to compare to. Now he's got an actual feedback and it can say, okay, and when I start reaching 400 degrees, start turning the output down to automatically maintain the 400 degrees. And, you know, that that saves people time too, right? I don't have to necessarily heat up with torches and keep checking with crayons until I get it. Uh, the machine automatically takes care of that for you and, and regulates it for you. It saves you time. And then not only that, um, since the machine knows the temperature, it can run there indefinitely. And so if you get called away to a meeting or if it's time to go on lunch break or, or whatever, you can do that. And when you come back, the machine's sitting there maintaining the temperature for you. You don't have to crack the torch back on and heat it back up uh, before you start welding. It saves a lot of time. You can get right back to welding when you get back. 
No. So that's that's how you monitor the temperatures in most cases uh, with thermocouples, and then the welder will usually verify it with his temperature crayons to make sure that his weld joint is up to temperature, and then he can start. Um, there are a few other methods. I mean, if you've uh, if you've got a part that's rotating or something like that, uh, you can't necessarily have a thermocouple attached to it, or the wires would be winding up on it as you spun the part. So there's uh, some infrared devices out there that people can use for feedback as well. Um, a little sketchy at sometimes because infrared has its own inherent error issues if you don't know what you're doing with it. So anybody that wants to use infrared uh, should study about it a little bit before they just do it. But the, the sensor that Miller chose is pretty accurate and uh, gives us really good results. Uh, but there are a lot of sensors out there that can be very inaccurate when you're changing from like a shiny to a rusty part. The reading can go way off. So you need to make sure that if you're using infrared, you know what you're doing. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Al. Um, join us next time on Bevel Talk as we discuss more about induction heating.